Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on the Southcrest Live featuring Dr. David Wilson, we begin a new study called FAIL a series on the epic failures of the Bible. Today, we take a look at the deeds of Achan, a man who thought his secret sin would affect no one but him. He could not have been more wrong. Open your Bibles to Joshua 6 and listen to this week's message, It Does Matter What You Do, from Pastor David Wilson. Turn to the book of Joshua. For the next five Sundays, including today, so all of August, first Sunday of September, we're going to look at some people that I call epic failures. Now, there are a lot of failures in the Bible, and all of us have failed in some area of our life. But these guys have failed in ways that we can learn from. And if you can learn from somebody else's failures, you save your own self from the heartache of failing the same way. And then beginning the second Sunday in September, we're going to go verse by verse through the most neglected book of the Bible. And I'll let you figure that out later. But for the next five Sundays, we're going to look at these epic failures. And our creative team put together this little booklet for you. So I hope that comes in handy for you. Um, and you'll have to hang on to it. And then after you fill it all out, you can then throw it away. Whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> I'm not going to read the entire account of what we're talking about today because the passage is long. So I'm going to read a couple of verses and then I'll fill you in what's going on, but out of respect for God's word, would you stand while I read out of his word? Joshua chapter 6, verse 18. Actually, I'll start in verse 17. Now the city, this is God talking. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, and it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And by you, and you by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now look at chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the cursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zimri of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now look at verse 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. 
And they took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel, all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Joshua is sometimes called the Ephesians of the Old Testament because in Ephesians of the New Testament, it talks about our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Joshua talks about the inheritance of the children of Israel going into the promised land. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to see that sin matters, that it is significant in your eyes, that it is serious in your eyes. And help us to understand that we have more influence than we realize. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of a silly, you may be seated. It's kind of a silly story, but back in medieval Europe, there was a peasant who had a horse and a cart, and he made it his living by taking loads for the people in the area. After many years, his horse died, and he went to the local priest, troubled about what he was going to do, and the priest said, don't worry, come with me. And so the peasant followed the priest up to the baron's estate, and they walked into this huge horse stable, and there were all these beautiful horses. And the priest said to the peasant, Pick one of the horses. The peasant said, are you crazy? I'm not going to steal from the baron. I'll be killed. And the priest said, no, don't you worry. It'll be okay. So he picked out a fine horse and, and off he went back to town and he was making loads with the cart. The priest, on the other hand, went into the horse's stall, laid down, went to sleep. About an hour later, the baron was out looking around the horse's stable and saw the priest asleep in the horse's stall. And he said, Father, Father, what are you doing in here? And the priest woke up and he looked a little bewildered and he said, oh, it, it's a miracle. I've been forgiven. And the baron said, what in the world are you talking about? He said, well, years ago, I was hearing the confessions of a very beautiful young lady and, and on and on it went and I got a little too involved and you know what happened? And the baron said, yeah, yeah, but why are you asleep in my stall? He said, well, God punished me by reincarnating me in a, into a horse. And now all of a sudden, miraculously, I've been changed back into a man. I must have been forgiven. So the baron said, okay, and sent him on his way. Priest walked down the hill, all this smile on his face. About a week later, Peasants making loads with the cart and the baron comes through town and happens to notice a horse that looks pretty familiar. So he stops the peasant who now is trembling. And sure enough, he looks at the horse. He sees the brand. He sees the baron's brand. And then he looks at the horse in the mouth and he can say, yeah, this, this is my horse. And he backs up from that horse and sternly looks at him and says, father, I see you've been at it again.
Today we're going to talk about sin. And by the time this message is over, you may hope I go back on vacation. <laughs> sin in this day and age doesn't seem to have the seriousness that it used to have. People don't think much about being disobedient to God today because they say, well, I'm under God's grace, and, and, I, and, and that is true. I'm not discounting that at all. But they seem to take sin less seriously. Well, this account in the book of Joshua shows us that it does matter what we do. That one person can cost the lives of many other people. One person can cause God to bring judgment on a group of people. So today I want us to learn from the sin of Achan. The first thing I want you to see is that disobedience can, uh, it can lead to defeat. Disobedience can lead to defeat. In moments of success, we are vulnerable to defeat. Now think about what Achan has already seen. Over the last years, he saw God keep his word in so many ways. He saw the children of Israel who had been delivered from Egypt miraculously. Every one of that generation except for Caleb and Joshua died in the wilderness because of their sin. And Achan saw that. And then when they came to the river Jordan and it was time for them to go into the promised land that God had given them, the river Jordan was much wider than it is today. And he saw God part the river Jordan or roll it up in a heap, as it said, and they walked across on dry land. And then he saw, when it got to the fortified city of Jericho, he saw that all they had to do was march around it one time each day for seven days. And then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times and the walls came falling down. And God gave them that city in defeat. God, God uh, helped them defeat that city. And so you, one thing Achan should have learned and one thing that you notice that God, who's the God of creation and the God of the universe and the God of all power, is not someone to be trifled with. And that when he said something that was going to be done, it would happen that way. Achan knew that. And then God declared that Jericho was going to be consecrated to him. Now this is real important because you're thinking, well, he really got upset over something that seemed very trivial. But if you think about it, Jericho was the gateway into the promised land. And God wanted to make a memorable statement to the children of Israel. He said, Jericho belongs to me. It is dedicated to me. All the spoils, the gold, silver, and all of the spoils will go into the treasury of the Lord to be used for him. None of it is to be taken for yourself, not anything. What was he trying to tell them? God was showing them that by his grace, Everything that he did brought them into the promised land. They didn't do it on their own at all. God gave them everything. And he said, I'm, and, he, and he made it clear to not only Joshua, but then he, they spoke to the children of Israel. And he said, and if somebody violates this, I'm holding the whole nation accountable. But what I want you to understand that they had just come off this tremendous high They'd seen God deliver the city of Jericho and destroy it. And, and now he's saying, I'm going to give you the rest of this land and everything was going well. There are going to be times in your life like that when everything seems to be on the mountaintop. Everything's right with the Lord. Everything's going right with you. All your bills are paid. Everything's going right. 
did you know that you're vulnerable then because Satan won't be far away. Satan won't be far away, and that's exactly what happened. All of this was going on, and then the next thing you know, you find defeat. The second truth I want you to see is that defeat can come from secret sin. Sin is never completely private. Defeat can come from secret sin. Sin is never completely private. There were spoils in Jericho that Achan came across. As he was coming into one of the tents or one of the places in Jericho, wasn't a tent, he found a beautiful Babylonian garment, one like he'd never seen before. He also found 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. And he knew that he was supposed to take that to the commander, Joshua, and to put it in the Lord's treasury. We don't know exactly what he thought, but we do know that he probably thought to himself, you know what, just a little bit won't hurt. And if I have this, I'll be set up in the new kingdom or the new land that we've been given. I'll be financially secure. It makes you wonder if just one word from his wife or any of his children reminding him that he's not supposed to do that. After all, they're in a tent together. You don't know. You, you, if you've ever been in a tent with anybody else, you pretty much know everything that's going on in there. And he went and buried this treasure. And he's probably thinking, what possible harm could there be in taking just a few little goods for myself? After all, God's got plenty. Folks, have you ever noticed that the road to ruin is always in good repair? It's never under construction. It's always easy to go down. Now, we don't know exactly what Achan's thoughts were, but if his thoughts were, just this one little time won't hurt, then he is guilty of holding one of the trademarks of our society. Because one of those trademarks basically says that personal happiness and fulfillment should override every other consideration that I have. Years ago, George uh, Barna wrote a book entitled What Americans Believe. He said two-thirds, 66% of all Americans claim that the purpose of life is enjoyment and personal fulfillment. And so he concludes by saying Americans typically view life as a temporary effort to obtain all the satisfaction and pleasure possible during their tenure on this planet. There are so many people that say, I'm here just to enjoy life. Now, I want to tell you that creeps up into the church because I can tell you, I've personally heard people say, I don't believe God wants me to be unhappy. And they say that just about the time they're going to tell me that they're going to violate several of God's principles. They'll always say, well, God doesn't want me to be unhappy. Folks, I want to tell you something. God's primary concern for you is not your happiness. It's your eternity. It's your eternal life. I'm not saying God's going to make you miserable the rest of your life, but God's concern is not how happy you are all the time, but the fact that you become what he wants you to be and that you follow him and you have a fulfilled life on this earth by following Jesus Christ. Achan took some of the forbidden things that incurred the anger of God. In other words, he basically 
stole from God. And by taking some of the devoted things, he brought destruction not only on himself, but he brought the threat of destruction on the nation of Israel. Do you ever think about the sin of imputation? When you sin, it's imputed to someone else. Think about it. Who sinned and brought sin in the world? Adam sinned, and that imputation has come to you and me. We are born in sin, aren't we? And the opposite side of that is what Jesus did. He died on the cross for us and conquered sin. And by through and through Jesus Christ, forgiveness is imputed to you and me and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But you, you may think, well, how does that, how does that affect me? How, what does that mean for me and my own sin? Well, let's talk about what happened here. They just seen Jericho defeated. Nobody knows except Achan what he's done to this point, except God. They sent spies to a little community called Ai, A-I. Now, A-I or, or I was about 15 miles from where they were. It was just east of Bethel and close to Beth Haven or Beth Avon, which means house of iniquity. And Bethel means house of God. Later, Beth Avon became the synonym for apostate Bethel in Hosea 10.5. But, but they sent out spies. And when the spies returned, they said, guys, I is such a small place. We only need to send a couple of thousand people there. We don't have to send the army. Two or 3,000 soldiers, we got it made. Now, let's try to make this equivalent Let's say that a Lubbock is going to attack New Home <laughs> or Wilson. I mean, that's, that's, what we're, that's kind of what we're talking about here. We wouldn't have to send all the army over there not to take anything away. New Home may be more fierce than I realize, but I'm just telling you to give you an idea of the, the, the comparison here. And so Joshua said, we'll send a couple of thousand people over there. And sure enough, they made this 15-mile trek. Now, part of the problem was Gilgal was 900 feet below sea level, and I was 2,600 feet above sea level. So you had quite a trek. Well, they went up to I, and to their much surprise and dismay, I defeated them, killed 36 Israelites, and chased them down the back down the hill all the way to the quarry mines. And, and as the scripture says in chapter 7 that the hearts of the people melted. That they realized what on earth happened. God just gave us Jericho and we can't defeat I. When Joshua heard about it, the first thing he did was he rent his clothes. And he and the elders covered themselves in ash. Which was the sign of deepest agony and misery. Joshua knew something was wrong. And like a good human being, and sometimes like a Baptist, he blamed God. God, how come, I'm loosely paraphrasing this, okay? You can read all of this in chapter 6, 7, and 8. He said, God, you made yourself look bad here. And then he put it on, and besides that, I look bad in this too. And God said, I'm not your problem. I'm not your problem. You've got sin in the camp. He, he said, all Israel, they have sinned. 
Isn't that interesting? How many times when something that we don't like happens, we begin to blame God when sometimes it may not be God at all. And I'm not saying everything that happens that's bad is your sin, but folks, sin's in the world and so bad stuff happens. But in this particular case, Joshua comes to God and he's, and God says, look, instead of questioning my faithfulness, you need to be looking for sin among your own people. And so Joshua sent out the command that the next day, now this is important, the next day they were going to have a hearing. And so the next day they probably cast lots. Now here's how that happened. Could have been one of two ways. The high priest had an ephod that had the Urim and the Thummim stones in it. And sometimes he would put them in the pocket and God would answer yes or no when they would pull out the lot and God would show them what to do. It could have been that they had names on pieces of paper or whatever they wrote on and pulled the names out. But they, they did four things. They first got to the right tribe. They got to the tribe of Judah. And then they got to the right family, the family of the Zerahites. And then they got to the, the family of Zimri. And then on the fourth lot, Achan showed up. And by the way, this is the footnote. You find the lot, some in scripture, the last time it occurs is in Acts chapter 1, verse 26, where they're finding out who the next apostle will be to replace Judas. But after that, you don't see the lot used anymore in Scripture. Why? Because the Holy Spirit came the day of Pentecost and indwells us and guides us and shows us. And we also have the complete canon of Scripture, which gives us the direction that God wants us to go. So there's, there was no more usage of that. Anyway, Achan is now uncovered and then confronted with the evidence, Achan confessed. And he recognized that his sin was above all a sin against God. He said, I have sinned against God. And in confessing, he spelled out the process of temptation. See if this sounds familiar. He said in verse 20, I saw, I coveted, and I took. Where have you seen that before? How about the Garden of Eden? I saw, I desired it, I coveted, and I took it. See, the, the, the temptations are all basically the same when it comes right down to it. And the disobedience of one individual had a profound impact on the whole community. Now, let's bring this home. Sometimes people wonder, stay with me, you in the venue, stay with me. Sometimes people wonder why we think it's important that every member of our church live like God wants them to live. What is a church? A church is a body of baptized believers in Christ. We're, we're part of a family. This is a local family of believers. It's a large family of believers. You may think... I don't know very many people here, so it really doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what sin I'm involved in. Nobody has to know. And what I do is not hurting anyone. Is that true? No. Why? 
because we're dependent on the leadership and the power of the Holy Spirit to lead our congregation and to lead us as a people. And all it takes is one person really out of fellowship with God to sometimes quench the spirit. One person can destroy a Sunday school class. One person can stop the power of God in a church. So yes, it does matter how you live. We represent the Lord. We represent our church. We represent one another and the faith. And it does matter. God looks at us as a unity. He looks at us as a corporateness. He, he doesn't look at us as, as well, he knows each, each of us individually. He knows our names and he knows about us. But he looks at this body of South Chris as a whole and he says, your people need to follow me. You are responsible for being what God wants you to be and being obedient to him. And we need to understand this. Your sin, your indifference, your backslidden state can affect a group of people. Now, God still wants us to bring glory to his name by obeying him. He wants us to see that his purpose or cause for the church is larger than ourselves. Please don't feel for a moment, it doesn't matter what I do, because it does. The third thing I want you to see is the seriousness of sin. Achan probably thought his sin was so small and insignificant it wouldn't be important. You ever heard anybody justify their sin by just saying, oh, it's just a little one? Sometimes people think, well, God uh, basically judges us on quantity or amounts. As long as it's only once and I don't try to enjoy it too much, maybe God won't mind too much. Well, the truth is, one sin does hurt. Ask Adam and Eve. Caused eternal separation from God with a single sin. Ask Moses. He forfeited entering the promised land on a single sin. Ask Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. He died by fire. They died by fire because of a single sin. Uzzah died because he instantly and improperly touched the ark. Ananias and Sapphira and Sapphira died because they lied to the Holy Spirit. Okay, let me ask you a question. For those of you who are married, and if you're not married, you can answer this question. Would it be okay for you to cheat on your spouse one time? Can you imagine trying to justify yourself to him or her by saying, it was only one time? But when we choose to allow continual sin in our lives, we are cheating on God. We forget that our sin is against God. David, when he broke the laws of God, didn't say, oh, I've sinned against my friends, Bathsheba, Uriah. He said, I've sinned against God. In Psalm 51.4, against you, you only have I sinned. And done this evil in your side. Joseph, when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Amen. Folks, today we've gotten this idea that God's okay with it now. A couple of things I want you to see about the seriousness of sin. First of all, God does not tolerate it. 
One sin can make all the difference in the world. It made the difference for Israel. They were defeated by I. It made a difference for Achan. He died and his family. It can make a difference for you. God does not grade on the curve. What I mean by that is you can almost be saved and still not be saved. You can know a lot about Jesus. You can know all the right lingo. You can go to church. But unless you've ever repented of your sin, asked God to forgive you, and given your life to Jesus by faith and committed your life to him, you're not a Christian if you've not done that. And you're not going to be able to say, well, I almost was there. And for those of us who are Christians, when sin is in our life, it affects the way we live. It affects the joy of your life. It affects your relationships. A father just given a reckless teenager, his son, a lecture on his wild behavior. He said, son, do you know what happens when you break one of the Ten Commandments? He said, sure, dad, you've got nine left. One person who used to work at a convenience store wrote these words. Behind the checkout cash register, I watched while a portly fellow placed his beer, wine, cigars, and an adult book on the counter. As I rang up these items, he suddenly dropped a candy bar in front of me and said, oh, I almost forgot my one vice. And there's a story about the battered old man who got up one night during a revival meeting. He said, brothers and sisters, you know and I know that I ain't been what I ought to have been. I've stolen hogs. I've told lies. I've gotten drunk. I've always gotten in fights. I've shooting dice, playing poker. I've cussed and swore. But I thank the Lord there's one thing I had never done. I ain't never lost my religion. (laughs) Listen, folks. It breaks my heart to hear people hide behind grace. Now, listen to me carefully. If you just woke up, I'm going to say this again. I believe in the grace of God. I am saved by grace. So are you saved by grace? Nothing I did saved myself. I'm kept by the grace of God. I can't keep myself saved. However, people say, well, because I'm under grace, I can sin like I want to. And we have people who call themselves Christians today who, who are flagrantly violating what God said, this is right, this is wrong. And I don't have to tell you that list. And they see, got, sort of gotten this idea that God's much older now and he's a little more mellow and he doesn't think the same about sin. Young people, I want to tell you something. God's still as serious about sin and purity and morals as he's ever been. And he doesn't tolerate sin. And you can choose your sin, but you can't choose all the consequences that are going to happen because of that sin. We need to also remember that sin affects other people. God said in verse 11 of chapter 7, Israel has sinned. They have stolen. They have lied. When in reality, it was Achan. And probably his family helped. You've heard the old adage, one bad apple ruins the barrel. Why is that? Because a rotten apple gives off toxic fumes and gas that encourage the rotting of the other apples. Unchecked sin by one can pull everyone else down. 
Joshua 22, 20, it records, Did not Achan the son of Zerah commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity? You know, we're, uh, some of you are wondering right now, well, I think it's sad that his wife and his daughters and his sons and all his animals and all them died, but what about those 36 men who died at the first battle of Ai because God wasn't with them? You see, whenever there's secret sin in your life, it affects you, which in turn affects others. It can affect your relationships. It can quench the power of the Spirit in your life and in your family and in your church. It affects other people. In the judgment of Achan and his family, it says all the Israelites were involved. This is important because the sin of Achan had corrupted the nation and now the nation had to show its rejection of the sin among them. And Achan, his family, his animals, and all his belongings were brought to the valley of Achor to be stoned. And thus the law of Deuteronomy 13, 12 through 17 was brought to bear on Achan, the head of the family, who had brought his entire family into sin. He was primarily the guilty one, but the entire family was held responsible for the crime. That's the way God set up the nation of Israel back in those days. And the principle of an entire family suffering for the sin of one man is not unusual. Men, I want you to understand the influence that you have. And if you're listening to me on the television today, men, if you will get right with God, chances are your family will follow suit. Folks, I'm passionate about this because I see so much, I see so much, I don't even know what the word is, disregard. For the morals of God, the morals of the scripture. Sin had to be rooted out. Sin can hurt your family. Sin can hurt your church. Sin can hurt your nation. You have more influence than you realize and more people are watching you than you realize. God's watching you. God, be what God wants you to be. The third thing is secret sin is still sin. What are you hiding? You may hide it from me. You may hide it from other people, but you're not going to hide it from God. In the book, The Day America Told the Truth, James Patterson and Peter Kim report that 74% of Americans will steal from those who won't miss it. 64% will lie for convenience as long as no one is hurt. Most Americans, 93%, this breaks my heart, 93% say they alone decide moral issues basing their decisions on their own experience or whims. If it feels okay, I'm okay with it. 81% have violated a law they felt to be appropriate, inappropriate. 30% say they would be willing to die for their religion. Would, only 30% would be willing to die for their religious beliefs or for God. You may think you're hiding your sin. You are hurting yourself, which in turn affects your relationships with other people, your relationship with God. You're, we're like the little girl who cut her hair while her mom was not watching and hid her hair that she cut off 
and could not understand, how did you know, Mom, that I cut my hair? The fourth thing, sin one day will be revealed. God can reveal it. Numbers 32, 23, but if you do not do so, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. In Ephesians 5, 11, we're supposed to expose it. It says, and have not fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The prophets, they exposed sin. The final judgment rests with God. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. And then each one's praise will come from God. A teacher asked in her class, what are the sins of omissions? One of the little boys said, those are the sins you ought to have committed and haven't gotten around to yet. <laughs> the last thing I want you to see is it has a high cost. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're already condemned as a sinner and you will spend eternity separated from God. If you're a believer, your sins have been paid for. You've, re you've been forgiven. But in this life, you need to understand that you can grieve the Holy Spirit in you. It affects your life. You can also find yourself under the disciplining hand of God at times to get you back in the right place. You can choose your sin, but you can't choose the consequences usually. The place where Achan and his family were stoned to death was the Valley of Achor, meaning the Valley of Trouble. Isn't it interesting? They, they stoned them, then they were burned, and then they were piled up rocks as a memorial. This is the second pile of rocks when they entered the promised land. The first one, was at the River Jordan when they crossed. They said, we're going to pile up stones as a memorial to the deliverance of God. And now the second pile of rocks you find is all that's remembered of Achan. Achan is remembered by a pile of rocks. Listen to me. I've got good news for you. God still loves you. He's never quit loving you. And he's given us 1 John 1, 9 that says if we confess our sin, let's call it what it is. It's sin. We confess our sin. He's faithful and, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what are you hiding today? Don't, don't tell me. A lot of you have unforgiveness in your heart. You cannot forgive that's sin. Some of you have greed and jealousy and envy and covetousness and immorality. Let me tell you something. Any kind of sex outside of marriage is immoral, period. Some of you have a pornography issue. You're hiding it. It's sin. And the only way you're ever going to have peace is to confess that sin to God. And say, God, I am a sinner. You know it. So I'm confessing it to you. And I'm repenting from it. I'm going to stop right now. I'm going to stop. You need to help me, God. If I need to have accountability, if I need to break up in this relationship, if I need to forgive somebody, I need you to help me right now. And you know what? God said, I'll do it. 
I want you to bow your heads with me. We're just about done. If you don't know Jesus, he's the only one that can forgive you of your sin. He's the only one. No other prophet, no other religious figure on earth can forgive your sin because they're not God. Only Jesus can do that. And if you've never met Christ, you ask God to forgive you of your sin. You tell him you believe that Jesus died for your sin on the cross and that he rose again. And you invite Jesus to come into your life. Commit your life to him right now. And if you're a child of God, a Christian, it's time to get serious about our relationship with him. Some of you are in sin right now, and you know it. The Holy Spirit's revealed it to you. So what do you do with it? Put it in your pocket and walk out with it? Or do you say, Lord, I'm so miserable in this sin. I know it's wrong. I've held on to it long enough. So right now, I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. And now I need strength and help to trust you and to follow you. Thank you, Pastor David. We certainly learned some painful lessons from the Aiken incident. We find that disobedience can lead to defeat. And because no man lives in a vacuum, sometimes our sin can lead to defeat for others. This story from Joshua 6 and 7 also illustrates the seriousness of God's attitude towards sin. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.